C'est ça, après ça, ben moi, j'étais euh, à la polyvalente à l'époque pour les Nordiques. Puis, il euh, y avait un, euh, un autre joueur, je pense, qui s'appelait Michel Goulet, qui jouait pour les, euh, les, les Nordiques, qui venait de Péribanca, qui était la ville, à, le petit village à 10 minutes à côté de chez nous. Puis, il y avait son frère, tu vois, je me souviens pas du nom de son frère, qui venait à mon école. C'est que moi, quand je le croisais, pour moi, c'était comme croiser le frère d'une vedette. <rire> il y avait, on n'avait pas, pas les réseaux sociaux que vous avez aujourd'hui. Avec nos, 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 nos thrills, quand on tuait pour quelque chose, on s'excitait. <rire> Ouh, j'ai croisé le frère de Michel Goulet dans le corridor de la polyvalente. <rire> Even though the Habs will forever be my number one, I've fallen in love a bit with the Nordics after doing all of this. So it's interesting and I'm looking forward to talking about it. Hi, my name is Denise Lanakis, and this is the seventh episode, I believe, of the Marialez podcast, the Montreal-based podcast where we talk about Canadian history and Canadian tragedies. We're joined with my friend on the other side of the pond, Emma Friedel. How are you? I'm good. How are you? How are you feeling? I'm great. Thank you. This is uh, interesting. It's the first time I do a podcast, so I'm a bit nervous, but we'll see how it goes. Oh, this, until I started my own, this was also my first podcast. <laughs> no one's inviting me to be on any podcast now. <laughs> so a little bit of context. I am in Montreal. It's currently uh, 5 to 6 p.m. And you are in London. And what time is it there? It's almost 11 p.m which is also the time I've been going to bed during lockdown. Well, thank you for staying up past your bedtime. Thank you for being here. Um, we're talking about the Nordix hockey team, and um, you brought this to me. I mean, I, I sent you a list of topics, and this is what resonated with you, and I knew you were going to choose this. You were, like, my biggest <laughs> hockey friend. What were your experiences with the Nordix prior? Um, I knew the logo. Everyone knows the logo. It's a bit like the Expos in Montreal. You'll find it on casquettes or sweatshirts or whatever. I knew that my mom loved them, but otherwise, not much. Actually, my mom was the one to tell me that they had uh, the three Czechoslovak players because my dad's from Czech Republic. So that was, a, that was one of the first things I knew about them before we got into this podcast. I want to give a huge thank you to your mom, actually, because... Um, I included some of her voice. She graciously recorded uh, some voice memos, and I included it in the episode. So the, the French voice you're hearing intermittently is the voice of Emma's mom, Kim Galoup. So I want to say a huge thank you to her. But it, to me, also, prior to getting into this, um, the biggest rivals for Montreal was the Boston Bruins. I never even considered Quebec as a rival. But the more I think about it, obviously, it must have been such intense games to watch and it must have been crazy to see in the forum or the Cadiz Quebec like I would have loved to be there for that I think it must have been such a different vibe to the games that you see nowadays tu vois ben je vais dire quand les canadiens jouaient on les écoutait qu'on prenait pour les canadiens quand c'est les nordiques qui jouaient on prenait pour les nordiques quand c'est les nordiques puis les canadiens qui jouaient notre cœur était partagé parce qu'il y avait un autre gars il y avait un gars d'allemand aussi qui jouait pour les les canadiens Mario Tremblay c'était comme on était... Euh... Non, notre cœur était partagé. Notre cœur était très, très partagé. <laughs> okay, I'm too excited. We have to get into it. <laughs> yeah, 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 let's do it. All right. 
so let's begin. So the Nordiques were a professional ice hockey team based in Quebec City. The Nordiques played for the World Hockey Association and then the NHL starting in uh, 1979. The franchise was relocated to Denver, Colorado in May, 90, May 1995 and renamed the Colorado Avalanche. They played their home games at the Calice du Québec from 72 to 95. The Nordiques were the only major professional sports team based in Quebec City in modern era, one of two ever. The other was the Quebec Bulldogs in 90, 1919 and 1920. Just a fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> they were named the were one of the northernmost teams in professional sports in North America. Quebec City is located at 46 degrees north latitude. They're not even the most northern team in the NHL. Like the name, like it's cute, but it's not even... What is the most northern team? Um, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Winnipeg. Yeah, but when were those created? Because uh, I think that if you consider that the Nordiques were before in um, the WA, what is it again? The World Hockey Association. Yeah. Maybe at the time. Yeah, that makes sense. But when the World Hockey Association and the, the which is such a funny name, the World Hockey Association, really? Like, there were only teams yeah. in North America, but regardless. <laughs> I like saying the WA as well, because, you know, the yeah. NHL, but the WA. <laughs> Right, so I had to do research because I didn't know the law existed, but the World Hockey Association and the NHL ran parallel and competitively. So they had two professional leagues, technically. And so the NHL absorbed the WA and the Nautique came with it. The Edmontons also came. You had the Canadians that were sponsored by Molson and the Quebec uh, Nordics were sponsored by Carling O'Keefe Brewery, who at the time there was Labatt, Molson, and Carling O'Keefe, who I don't thing to exist anymore but I may be wrong yeah and so when there was that merger there was a vote that happened to have four teams of the law come into the NHL and they needed like a bunch of votes but they basically got five teams that voted no and three of those teams were Canadian teams like Montreal uh, Edmonton and Vancouver because they really didn't want to because they would have to share hockey night in Canada's revenues between six teams instead of three teams um, Canadians were stressed that the fans were going to be divided in the province so they were like super against it so they voted against but then what happened is across the, ca the country Canadian fans uh, started boycotting Molson products and it did such a big deal and such like an impact that at some point the House of Commons of Canada weighed in unanimously passing a motion urging the NHL to reconsider and Vancouver and Montreal were so like um, damaged a bit by the boycott of the Molson product that they had to reverse their vote. And then ultimately, that's how the one NHL merger happened. The power of boycotting. Yeah, right. Because of feud before, um, during, uh, between the World Hockey Association and the NHL, because when the wall was created, they kind of stole some players from the NHL and whatnot when they, um, what they called merged instead of like expanding, they basically told all the teams that they had to get rid of all of, all of the players that originally had played in the NHL and were stolen by teams in the world hockey association had to go back to their original teams apart from like one player. They, they were able to save, like, three players, I think. Yeah, they were able to save, like, two goalies and two players, which is, when you think about it, just, like, absolutely ridiculous and 
I don't know. It's just really sad in a way because they have to build completely all over. Yeah, it's not it's, the same team. If you're if you're getting rid of ninety percent of the team, it's not the same team. I, it's like disrespecting them. It's taking their honor and their history away, and it's going. You're just something new, you know, that we're, you've got to start fresh, start from zero and see what you can do from that, basically. So uh, the Nelzik's first head coach was uh, Maurice Richard. Did you know that? Yeah. That's, like, that's great. So many weird things happened. So the first coach was Maurice Richard. He lasted two games, a 2-1 loss to the Cle- Cleveland Crusaders and a 6-0 win against the Edmonton Oilers. And then the Rocket was like, no thanks. I don't think coaching is my thing. And then just stopped two games. <laughs> I heard that, like, they sent him a paycheck, and he just went, nope, and sent it back to them. He was just completely over with it. (laughs) I also, he said something, like, to the news. He was like, I could be hunting deer right now, but instead, I'm the deer being hunted. And it's like, whoa, for you to think that is a bit, it's harsh, you know? Jesus! (laughs) He didn't even give it a chance. Two games? like Exactly. It's, oh, I don't know. Give I think it a try. Give it a season. Forced to let go of all but three players to go in a dispersal draft, the Nelzik sank to the bottom of the standings and they finished the 79-80 season last in their division despite the play of promising rookie left-winger Michel Goulet. Okay, then in uh, the 80s, like we mentioned, the Nelzik announced their newly signed brothers, Peter, Anton, and then Marian Stansky, the members of the Czechoslovak national team, and they were drafted between 79 and 81. So these were star players all in the same lineup. Your dad's head must have exploded. On apprend qu'il y avait trois nouveaux joueurs qui venaient d'arriver, qui étaient super bons, puis euh, qui arrivaient de Tchécoslovaquie, euh, ce qui était hyper exotique pour nous autres, parce que c'était la, 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 des, des endroits où on ne pouvait pas aller. Puis euh, le coach de l'équipe était passé dans une émission, genre, si tu écoutes Jimmy Kimmel, c'était le genre d'émission-là, mais c'était québécois. Puis, euh, finalement, euh, il racontait tout ce qui s'était passé. C'est que c'est comme se faire raconter un film genre de James Bond que tu voyais contre les Russes. Mais là, c'était dans la réalité. Puis, il expliquait tout comment, dans le fond, ils étaient allés. Puis, il y avait, il y avait vraiment des espions qui avaient travaillé pour eux pour aller les, les, les chercher. Puis, moi, j'avais comme presque 14-15 ans. Je me souviens plus trop. C'est que c'est comme wow! Puis, j'avais un frère plus grand que moi avec qui, tu sais, on parlait de toutes ces affaires-là d'espions. C'est que c'était vraiment, c'est, il y avait un côté romantique, euh, excitant autour de ça. They tried in 1980 at the Lake Placid Olympics in New York State. And, um, like a bunch of uh, NHL general managers and coaches went to like be able to scout European players and whatever, because they were having a hockey uh, competition in it as well. And there was the Czechoslovak team. And so they tried there to take them, but there was a bunch of Czechoslovakian agents, so they couldn't. So they then pushed it back to like, I think the Czechoslovakian team was playing an international tournament. So they were in Austria playing this game. Peter and Anton called um, the coach or the GM of the Nordics who then flew over the next day through the help of the Canadian embassy. They took the two brothers to a hotel. There was a bunch of agents, people in black roading around. They stayed hidden in their room for ages till two agents from the Canadian embassy knocked at their door and one were from the embassy. And then they were escorted by two police driving like crazy. Apparently they were saying through the streets over like sidewalks and everything till they got to the airport in Vienna where they could, then fly to um, was it the Netherlands and then come to Montreal and be safe. 
but they were really stressed because they knew that the border to Bratislava, which is in Czechoslovakia, was only like 15 minutes away. So it was like this crazy chase and they couldn't bring Marion, their older brother, because he had a family and they couldn't figure it out. So they were before that like treated like royalty and Czech Republic. It was amazing. You know, they were like members of the hockey team. So they were really like doing well. When Marion, like after his two brothers uh, left, he went back to Czechoslovakia and he got kicked out of the hockey team. He didn't get any money. The only money he was getting was from his two brothers that were in Quebec City sending him money. He was completely disgraced, everything. And mean, and he did like a bunch of trips between in Europe to see if he was being followed and things because there was Czechoslovakian agents after him. So and eventually like Czechoslovakia, he, like a like a super like USSR style communist country. Yeah. So in 1968, I think you have the Spring Prague, Prague Spring. And so basically beforehand, Czechoslovakia was a communist state, but had kind of like this, this deal with the USSR where they could be their own entity. But they got a bit too creative and too expressive in their art and everything. So in 68, the Russians invaded. And then it was like complete takeover. My dad only went back in like the 90s when uh, the Cold War was over. And he was saying there's still Russian signs all over Prague. That's so cool that like the the brothers were like essentially kidnapped. It, they wanted to go. They like helped the the Nazi hockey team helped break them out of Czechoslovakia so they could play for their team. Like yeah, I know. And then so like a year later, Mary uh, Marion still kept on talking to the Nardex team, and him and his family went to Croatia or something to Zagreb, and they contacted the Nardex, who then the next day came over and flew them, got the paperwork for them. And they managed to come over a year later. It's just wild. Like a hockey team literally did some spy stuff to get some players out of a communist country. For my papa or for my mari, I think that's what he was probably more for his parents, for Vladimir, because they really experienced it. What I told you, it was almost a film. For them, it was their reality. En République tchèque, ou euh, quand tu voulais te parler, ça allait être dehors dans les parcs pour pouvoir parler, puis parler de choses politiques ou de donner une opinion, sinon tu risquais d'être dénoncé. Donc, le fait de voir les, les, les trois Stachny pouvoir quitter comme ça, puis pouvoir avoir une carrière, puis en profiter, sans, euh, vivre une liberté à quelque part, vu que euh, euh, Vladimir et Lunula connaissaient la liberté, mais pour eux, ça devait être cette liberté euh, occidentale. <laughs> My mind is blown. <laughs> so the following season, led by Peter Stasny, the 108-point Calder Memorial Trophy winning performance, the Nelzik made the NHL playoffs for the first time, but fell in the best of five opening round in five games to Philadelphia Flyers. So led by Goulette and Peter, the Nelzik's made the playoffs seven years in a row. However, Due to playoff structure during most of the 80s, the, 80s, the Nautique place faced the near certainty of having to get past either the Montreal Canadiens or the Boston Bruins to make it to the conference finals. In 81-82, despite notching only 82 points in the regular season, they defeated the Canadiens and the Bruins, both in winner-take-all games on the road. The Cinderella run ended when they were swept by the defending champion, the Islanders, in the conference finals. So the biggest thing 
tap into the NLD Express, the, the interprovincial rivalry with the Canadians, and it intensified during the 83-84 NHL season, culminating in the infamous Vendredi Saint Brawl. This is a podcast, so I can't show you the footage of this, but everybody on the ice is fighting. And the, usually I find, like, yes, hockey is a violent sport, but the refs aren't actually holding players back. They're, like, letting them fight, letting them throw punches. They're like, okay, Sassoufi boys, you know, they're, I don't think they're, there are, I've never seen something like that. Yeah, but also, like, I, it's ridiculous. And I read that, like, the referees after admitted that they did the wrong calls, you know, like, sending back players on the ice before figuring out who was getting penalties and whatever. But I think, like, think about it. There's, what, three referees on the ice? And there's how many players all of a sudden everyone's there just going at it? And the thing is, the referees don't have any padding. So if they get swung at, they're going to get hit even harder than the hockey players. These players are also massive. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and it's the, was the 80s. So it's like, it's a, they don't all have helmets. It's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> Everyone's flying around. It's quite wild. There was like 252 penalty minutes handed out in the entire game. Oh, yeah. And the Habs scored five goals in the third period of game six at the Forum to eliminate the Nelzik. This game went down in history. When I was talking to my friend Emily about this, she was like, every year, my family plays this game. That plays, that plays the hockey game, and we relive this hockey game. So I understand fighting because the best two players, Peter Sassny and Dale Hunter, were ejected from the game. What, there's like constant fighting and the third period needs to be delayed because they're fighting so much. And so they're just like everyone off the ice. And then before the players start undressing and everything and before um, before the refs manage to add up who's getting what penalty, who's getting ejected, they just go into the, the changing rooms and say, everybody back on the ice. So all the players are back. And then all of a sudden they start going, this person's ejected, this person's doing that. So everyone starts getting pissed off again because they're like, what do you mean? I shouldn't have done this. You should have done that. And everyone starts fighting again. Okay, so apparently a player knocked out like cold someone else and it kind of ruined his career because he had a lot of injuries before. Oh my God. So when the Canadians came back, they were like, screw this and just hammered the Nordics basically. <laughs> they have an intense history, which I was really not aware of. Me neither. Okay, so that was 84. In 86, in round two of the playoffs, it was the Habs versus the Neldiks. The, the next round saw more of the Habs and Neldik rivalry as the playoff series went to game seven, with the Canadians coming out on top. After that, the Nords would not return to the playoffs until 93. So the decline began in the following season. The Nelzics finished last in their division, the first of five straight years of finishing at the bottom of the Adams division, and they missed the playoffs for the first time in eight years. And then this, the slide continued, and in 88-89, they had their worst record. So Michel Bergeron, who, has, who had coached the team from 80 to 87, returned for 89-90. And the season was also highlighted by the arrival of Guy Lafleur who had turned down a lucrative offer from the Los Angeles Kings to come back from a four-year retirement, opting to finish his season in his home province. <laughs> this team had the craziest things happen to them. Another uh, provincial idol, like a world all-star, everybody worships Guy Lafleur, comes out of retirement. He says no to the LA Kings to come back to this, his province. Like, that's so symbolic and important. Yeah. 
for him to go to Quebec City because of the rivalry was like quite a big move and a nice way to finish the career. Again, a great PR move. They had a lot of strategic media moves that should have turned out good for them, but stuff just kept on happening, screwing them over. I didn't even think of the rivalry part. When I thought that Guilafra was coming back to play hockey in Quebec, I thought of that as like, oh my God, you know, like we said, great PR, but I didn't think of like the giant FU it was to the team he played for, for Mm -hmm. the prime of his career. That we have like statues dedicated to him and he's going to go play for the rival. So like basically a few years before that, the, they're trying to get Guy Lafleur in the 70s. And so they offer him a contract. And, the and No, so the Nordiques go to Montreal and they try to convince Guy Lafleur to, be, to like sign with them. But I think he kind of talks to them. And then the same day, a few hours later, um, Sam Pollock of the Montreal Canadian brings him into their forum, their offices, wherever, and tells him that he has to sign the contract with Montreal Canadiens because if he doesn't, he's going to be banned from playing later that night. So Guy Lafleur was basically forced into playing with the Montreal Canadiens in the 70s. Okay, so he had like a little bit of bad blood, a little bit of bitter. He had, he had some bad blood, and then afterwards, they weren't the nicest with him on a contract and stuff. And That's like behind the scenes to the fans who love him. But no, I, don't, I mean, they had Maurice Richard for one year, for no, sorry, for a few games as a okay. coach. Then they get, yeah, then they get Guy It's just great like Quebecois PR for Quebec City. He didn't do much for the team. As good as the PR was, he played like his worst two seasons. He was clearly like out of practice and the Nelzik had the worst record in the league. Not even half of the points total of the next worst team. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) It's still the worst record in Nelzik Avalanche history and one of the worst non-expansion teams since 1967. It was also the second of three straight seasons with the worst record in the league. So ups and downs, clearly. Let's roll into the 90s. So in 91, the Nelzik once again had the first overall draft pick in the NHL. Okay, this is the part that I dedicated a lot of my research to, okay? so Because it's worth it. Um, they picked junior star Eric Lindros. And even though he had been no, he let every, this guy was, okay, woo! They picked Eric Lindros as their number one draft pick. And up until the drafting, he was very explicit. And he said, I would never play for the Quebec Nautics. He says that. He goes, I would rather continue playing as a junior than play for the Quebec Nautics. And what did the Nautics do? What did we do? We drafted him anyway, baby. And then at mm-hmm. At the event, everyone else puts their jersey on over their suits, like all the drafted players. He doesn't do that. He shakes his hand, and he looks pissed. Mm. Uh, He says he doesn't want to play for the team because uh, distance, lack of marketing potential, and having to speak French. But the Nautique selected him anyway. He refused to wear the jersey. And then Lindros, on advice of his mother, Bonnie, refused to sign with the team and began um, a holdout that season that lasted over a year. And the Nelzik's, the Nelzik's president publicly announced that they would make Lindros the centerpiece of their franchise turnaround. So the more he's like, I don't want to play for you, the more we're like, yes, you will. Yes, you will. We paid you. We own you. <laughs> well, so what's, so apparently when they first signed him, he turned around and he was like, I want $3 million a year. Because he just, he was like, I'm going to give them the craziest number. So they go, 
no, we don't want you, go away. But Quebec City was like, you're the best. Apparently, they were calling him, like, the next Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. He was why called why would they one. get rid of him when they're struggling and all of a sudden they have the golden nugget, you know? He, he's refusing to play. He's refusing to put on the jersey and he's not signing the contract. This has, like, never happened. Well, did you know that he did the same thing in the junior league? I didn't know he did the same. But he, this guy is so... Like, I didn't know he did the same thing in the junior league, but he said, I would rather go back to juniors than play. And then he did. He would show, continue showing up at his juniors team league. Yeah, well, so what people were saying is that while Quebec was struggling, he was fine because he could go, like, make him, uh, you know, get better, perform in the juniors. He also could get him to the Canadian Olympic team, which I think he did. Oh, he did. And he was so great in the Olympic team. But still, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. But so apparently, back in the juniors, he got um drafted by the same team that Wayne Gretzky had at the time and Wayne Gretzky went to that team and wanted the number nine but couldn't because this other guy took it and so his coach like turned around was like why don't you take two nines because that's better than one nine right and that's how number 99 of Wayne Gretzky became and you're like wow that's such a cute team and Wayne Gretzky came from it and this guy who's made to be the next Wayne Gretzky just got drafted from them well no he sat out Till he got, um, till he finally got traded to a team that was closer to his house. Because guess what? His mom wanted him to stay closer to their house so she could go to he could go to school in the area. You're ch- you're blowing my mind here, and this will loop around on when we find out why the like what happened to the Naldiks. I'm putting two names on the list. After I came into this thinking it's Eric Lindros, like fuck that guy. But now yeah, Bobby right? Lindros, she's a new contender. Who does she think she is? <laughs> okay, but. When I first saw the footage of him getting drafted, I looked at this man and I was like, you are the most gorgeous man. <laughs> I know, right? He's 6'5". Like, I was like, I miss looking at the drafts because they're all so young. just handsome. Yeah, I know. Okay, so other players of the Naldic were like, we, we don't want him here if he doesn't want to be here. If he's talking smack all over our team, we don't want him here. Um, people are, Joe Sakic says, uh, we're, we only want players who have passion for the game. I'm tired of hearing that name. Um, he's not here and a lot of others in this locker room really care about the game and want to play. And so while he refuses to play for the Nautic, they finished another dreadful season, 91-92, last in their, last in their division. Um, so when I was doing research, my mom came in. I asked if she remembered Eric Lindros, and she was like, oh my god, yes, he's so handsome. I can totally imagine your mom saying that. F that guy. hate that guy. But then she goes, you know, Denise, he's hit his head maybe like six times. I think he almost died a couple times from his concussions. And and then I started going on a parallel research about Eric Lindros and his life. Okay, tell me more. He, yeah, so he represented Canada at the World Junior Championship three times, 90, 91, 92, and winning gold medals in 1991. Then in the Olympics, he represented Canada in 92, 98, 2002, and he won silver and gold in those times. And then in 2016, he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and he was named one of the top 100 greatest NHL players, and Wayne Gretzky was 99. His number was 88. Seriously? Yeah. And he was retired. That number was retired by the Flyers in 2017. So he, he suffered his first concussion on, in 98. And over the 16 months, he got six concussions in 16 months. Okay. His career, he had a really, really short career. He retired at 32. No. So the article 
the article I read it was, was this British guy that I started telling you about before we recorded. He, sorry, it wasn't an article. It was a YouTube video. And he made a video that's like a parallel hockey history that what if Eric Lindros always played for the Nordiques, never left. And they are, he argued that because he got traded to the Philadelphia Flyers, who has a reputation of being aggressive play, that's where he like learned it. He wouldn't have had that aggressive streak and he wouldn't have had that and he would have had less concussions maybe over a longer time okay this is so weird that you're saying this because i was watching this uh, rds documentary about the nordics and um when they were talking about eric lindra some of the managers and coaches from back then said exactly basically what this parallel universe is saying that if he had stayed with the nordics and hadn't followed his parents advice and his parents had left him alone he would have flourished become a better athlete become more confident in himself but he was like kind of robbed from that by his parents basically and because the Nelziks in the you know right after they traded Eric the team got it upward like they created other hall of famers and he would have been playing mm-hmm. with those hall of famers and he you know he would have been elevated the team forget it Eric never want Lindros never won a Stanley Cup so, mm-hmm. like, he, his career yeah. would have been two or threefold better, longer, and more successful. And, and then he got the shortest career. I don't know how many brain cells this guy has left. So, like, some sort of, like, karmic universe, sort of, I, I don't wish harm on Eric Lindros, but... I know, Tara. Yeah, but also, like, kind of karma, because do you know what he said when he got drafted to the Flyers? I'm just happy to get out of there. The Nordics lacked a winning spirit. I didn't want any part of it. So I was just like, screw this guy. And to be honest, maybe it's karma. But do you know about the whole problem between selling, well, trading him to the Rangers or the Flyers? Uh, Well, I know that the Nelzics traded him accidentally to two teams. So then they had like a whole arbitrator. They needed to know who really got him. Okay, so basically what happened is apparently the Flyers, both the Flyers and the Rangers offered like crazy deals. Like... 15, 20 million dollars, draft picks, loads of players, like crazy deals. But apparently what happened is Quebec was in talks with um, Philadelphia and they had called uh, Eric Lindros and had put him in contact with Philadelphia to go, are you happy to play with Philly? And he said, yes, I am. They come to an agreement with Philadelphia. So Quebec gets Lindros to call Philadelphia and Lindros goes, yes, I'm happy to go to the Flyers. However, 80 minutes later, Quebec gets a call from New York and they said that they wanted to go with New York because they thought that it would be a better fit for Lindros to go to New York. But also New York was offering 20 millions and Philly was offering 15. So yeah, like maybe that had a bit of an influence, but they said that it thought it was a better choice. But the thing is, so they basically then agree to sell him to New York and now both teams are like, but we thought we had him. So that's when an arbitrator comes in and he basically spends like five days doing a whole case on this and decides that because Lindros called Philly and agreed, it meant that he had to go to Philadelphia. And New York was super pissed off because apparently they weren't pissed off with Quebec. They were pissed off with their owner because that was Paramount. And Paramount basically took loads of time to choose whether they were going to give the funds for it. And New York was like, if Paramount wasn't so, you know, technical and bureaucratic, 80 minutes less and we could have had Lindros. The trade was insane. They got 
Peter Forsberg, Mike Ricci, goaltender Ron Hextall, defenseman Steve Dutchny, Dutchness, Carrie Hoffman, Huffman, future considerations, which eventually became enforcer Chris Simon, two first round picks, and 15 American, 15 million American dollars. Which we know is more than Canadian dollars. By far. And especially at this time, the, our currency sucks. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to say, one of the things he said was distance. Um, he's from Oshawa, Ontario. Yeah, apparently his parents didn't want him to go to Quebec City because they didn't want to fly that far and they didn't want to go to somewhere that had such high taxes and low temperatures. And I was like, right, taxes, maybe we're talking accurate, but you're from Ontario. It's not like the temperature switches that much between Ontario and Quebec. And forget about like this, like Quebec is way closer than Philadelphia and New I know. York. Like the logic is so flawed. Bonnie, who Bonnie? And obviously it's an English-French thing. The language plays a big deal. And, and definitely like, I don't know when this was like sort of like separatist movement time, like separatist mm-hmm. ideologies. This goes um, like way deep to like Quebec City now trying to get another team. I, I really hope they do. Me too. So in twenty. But also, I'd be a bit scared for Montreal because we're not doing that great. But maybe not. it would fuel the rage between both of them. I think competition is always good as long as we're not mm-hmm. like overriding and overburning police cars. Or maybe have need to have their attention directed towards more justifiable stuff than hockey. Yeah, as long as we're fighting over and protesting over you know equality and not competing hockey if a sports team won or not yeah so he says you know he didn't want to play for Quebec because of the lack of the winning spirit and then in 2016 like way later he said Lindros said he just just did not want to play for a team owned by Obu which was the owner really the fact that he's still being asked that in 2016 I know I hope he thinks about this every I don't know if I'm being too spiteful no, but I think in, in the documentary I was saying, people who are like, you know, professionals in the NHL and had been for much longer than this rookie were saying how ridiculous it was because he broke the rules of the NHL and completely disrespected the system in a way. You know, it's ridiculous because it's it's the rule. The bottom team gets the first draft pick. And you just, in a way, say, I'm completely better than them. And most you know, who get drafted are like, um, I'm happy to go in whatever team that's willing to pay me millions of dollars to continue playing the sport that I love. Yeah, it's like the one that's so close to my hometown. You're a rookie. It, obviously, it's fueled by French. You know, it's it has to be part of the Quebec Ontario hate, and I think his parents had a huge impact. Like some of the the Quebec uh, coach and managers said that even if they could have ma- managed to convince. Eric, they wouldn't have met, his parents would have convinced him otherwise, you know. Il est l'épitome de la non-compréhension des uh, uh, deux nations fondatrices. Que ce soit du côté francophone ou du côté anglophone, quand les gens ne comprennent pas l'autre, dans le fond. We can make a whole other argument for uh, coddling of our boy, of boys and <laughs> the, the system this of is a whole different podcast. Mm-hmm. A whole other, because uh, that alone is a tragedy in history. <laughs> like, <laughs> mama's boys. Oh, all right. too many of them. 
Yeah, I'm like, the Quebecers are not having it. <laughs> like, $15 million, a whole bunch of players. This deal transformed the Nelzique from the league doormats to legitimate Stanley Cup contenders overnight. Um, they won another Calder Memorial Trophy. Ricci would give six useful seasons for the franchise before being traded. Hextall was moved after a single season to the Islanders in return for Mark Fitzpatrick. And uh, the first round pick, the Nordiques used to select Adam Deadmarsh, who would be a key member of the Avalanche Cup winning team. So now we're getting closer to the end where all these players are going to be traded and will win the Stanley Cup. And Thibault will be traded for the Montreal goalie Patrick Ro- Patrick Waugh after the franchise moved to Denver, another superstar that played on this team. So much like the Expos, probably even more, they had the players and they were they were doing well. They had support and they had the players. At the same time, they get uh, Gary Bettman, the first commissioner of the NHL, and he's given the task to move teams to like focus on the south of the states to get a bigger market down there and to, you know, basically he's been accused of being anti-Canadian. Quebec City moved to Colorado and then another team just completely canceled and another team moved to the States also. It was like Edmonton, I think. There was a whole bunch of teams when I read about the uh, uh, the WA merger with the NHL, a whole bunch of teams that were traded over that are no longer in existence. Well, so like at the same time that they're all planning on them, it's like their last season and everything. Apparently, uh, Marcel Aubu says that he wants a new stadium and it's going to be like a $125 million stadium. But as you said before, the Canadian dollar is doing crap. Yeah, we're at the end. So during the 92-93 NHL season, these new players, along with Sakic, now a, a bona fide NHL all-star. I'm probably saying that wrong. I don't know what that means. Bona fide? Bon, bon fide? NHL All-Star, and then rapidly developing Sundin and Nolan led Quebec to the biggest single-season turnaround in NHL history. They made the playoffs for the first time ever in six seasons, also governed home ice advantage in the first round uh, for only the third time ever as an NHL team. However, they fell to the eventual Stanley Cup champions, Canadians, in the first round, winning the first two games, but then losing the next four due to inspiring goaltending from Montreal's Patrick Roy. Uh, The 94-95 season, Mark Crawford was hired as the new head coach, and Forsberg was deemed finally ready to join the team, but there was a problem of the lockout. In the shortened season of 48 games, the Nelziks finished with the best record in the Eastern Conference. However, the team faltered in the postseason and was eliminated in the first round by defending Stanley Cup champions, the Rangers, in Game 6. Forsberg scored the last goal in Nelziks history, a power play goal in Game 6. Playoff block <laughs> provided the Nordique swan song in the NHL as the team's financial troubles increasingly took center stage, even in the face of renewed fan support over the previous three years. The league's Canadian team, with the exception of Montreal, Toronto, and to a lesser extent, Vancouver, found it difficult to compete in a new age of rising player salaries. The financial difficulties were even more pronounced by a weakened Canadian dollar. While all NHL teams since the early 90s played paid their players in U.S. dollars, the Canadian teams reported their revenues in Canadian dollars. The Oilers and the Flames were also in danger of being moved while the expansion Ottawa Senators changed owners before they even played a game. The Nelziks felt the difficulties created by the new environment more than the other teams in the league. Quebec City was the smallest market in the NHL, the second smallest major league city in North America, only Green Bay, Wisconsin, home to the National Football League, Green Bay Packers, was smaller. However, the Nordiques did not have a nearby major market to draw loyalty and revenue, as the Packers do with Milwaukee. 
Additionally, while the Packers are the only NFL team in the state of Wisconsin, the Nordiques always played second fiddles to the Canadians in Quebec. So, so the at fault now is weakened Canadian dollar. There's a lockout. They lost money. Um, they're struggling to keep up with the price of players. Um, and then um, there's a small market. Um, and that, that small no market that is being shared with the Canadians. So all of these factors, and verbatim, the same points were in the Expos. And I don't know for the Expos, but Montreal is bilingual. They had the announcements in English and in French. But Quebec was only francophone. And so but their revenue... Montreal, up- even in Montreal with the Expos, while we were bilingual, no English language journalists and reporters covered the mm-hmm. Expos game on the radio because they had problems with rights. The French covered it no problem, but they completely isolated the English market because they could not agree on a broadcaster, a radio broadcaster. It just was not being exposed to a, like half of the population that cuts out everyone and mostly everyone in north america as much as you want to say canada is bilingual you know it's mainly contained to our side so if you want to just do french people i'm sorry but that seriously cuts your market so if it was a problem in montreal i can imagine the problem they're having in quebec so the nordiques also face the unique disadvantage due to quebec city status as a monolingual francophone city then as now quebec city has no english language radio stations and only one privately owned english language television station the only english language newspaper was the weekly quebec chronicle the nordiques organization operated entirely in french public addresses announcement home games only in french in contrast montreal and ottawa the other nhl cities with large francophone fan base enjoyed significant anglophone support and had full bilingual operations. The near total lack of English language media limited the Nordiques marketability even in their best years and made many non-French speaking players wary of playing for them like we mentioned earlier. You've got to think like how the English media is portraying it across the rest of Canada and the New York States. Obviously it's it's a bit like who are these crazy people revolting? You know, why why would I want to go and play somewhere where I don't really know what's going to happen? Obviously it must be like terrifying to some of them if they're not really aware of what's happening exactly all the media that's coming out is that you know we're there's the october crisis we're kidnapping politicians we're holding them hostage we're killing some of them like it's it's that's that must be terrifying especially because it's not like the you know there's all these turbulent politics and then you know hockey is separate they're so intertwined like Mm -hmm. politics and sports are just it's the same city it's the same fan base and it continues till now. It's absolutely oh, crazy. to a lesser degree, I'd like to imagine. I'm not, I'm, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Hexall that you mentioned, there was speculation of uh, Quebec's sovereignty movement and pending 95 referendum prompted the NHL to remove itself from the political climate of Quebec at the time, which surfaced for the Expos a decade later when the, the Major League purchased the team and you know, they relocated them. Obu, which was the owner, asked for a bailout from Quebec's provincial government. However, Premier Jacques Parizeau turned the request down. Uh, a few in Quebec were willing to willing to be seen as subsidizing a hockey team that paid multi-million dollar salaries, which I understand. You know, I, 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 I'd like to think, again, parallel universe. In South Africa, when they were talking about, like, the rugby spring box and, you know, um, 
in the late 90s when Nelson Mandela got out of jail and was running what brought the and you know there was like there was it was such a, a politically turbulent time that movie portrayed rugby as what brought the country together I'd like maybe I'm an idealist but that year the Springboks won the Rugby World Cup and who would have known what would have happened if the team stayed politically turbulent times if the team is doing well no one's talking about separatism everyone's rooting for the team and i don't know how the habs were playing at that year if imagine if you know it was a the expos the habs the imagine sports versus politics is what i'm trying to say but it's completely true because the way i like to describe the Montreal Canadian fans, because it's my only real experience with hockey and a fan club, is here when you're watching football or soccer, um, you know, they divide the crowd, the fans into two sections. No one's ever mixed. But when you're watching hockey, yeah, there's going to be fights and whatever, but it doesn't matter what political party you're, you're for, what your choices in life are. You're watching hockey and you're cheering for the same team and that's all that matters. And Hockey is great. It brings everyone together. There's hockey night in Canada on Saturdays. It makes me happy. I like falling asleep to hockey. It's just a nice thing. So I completely <laughs> agree with you. You know, it's hockey plays at midnight here. I can't miss it. It's happening so rarely that you must watch it, no matter the time difference. And your bedroom is filled with Habs props and Habs memorabilia. When I was staying with you, I felt like, you know, I, I could have been in your bedroom in Montreal. You brought all that with yeah. you. That's so I beautiful. have the Habs sign that you gave me when I first left. It's like still in my room, very much visible with the two hockey pucks next to it. You also have the queen. So I think you've assimilated really well. She's still the Canadian <laughs> queen. So bailouts okay. for Ottawa and Edmonton were also rejected. I wonder why Ottawa and Edmonton didn't lose their team, but Quebec did. You know, they were in the same financial situation, arguably had a worse team. Regardless, um, in 95, they were eliminated from the playoffs. Obu had announced he had no other choice but to accept an offer from ComSat Entertainment Group, the owner of the National Baseball Association, Denver Nuggets. The team was moved to Denver, where it was renamed Colorado Avalanche. The Nordiques... The Denver Nuggets is a horrible team. Awful. Name. Awful. Nugget. Was it like the Gold Nuggets? Is that like associated with the Maybe. Gold Maybe. I guess. That's, that's the only legitimate connection. Otherwise, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Though the Nordiques franchise... And Obu never lost money on the team. Obu feared losing money and sold the team before the possibility became a reality. So it seems to me because, because Edmonton and Ottawa was literally in the same predicament, but they still have a team today. I'm, I'm sort of pointing to this guy as just making a bad call. Had he held out, the team would have resurfaced again and, you know, profitability. And you need to have hope in your team. You can't just go ahead and be like, I don't want to lose money. Screw it. There goes the legacy. I'm pointing to him now, too, because I keep referencing the Expo episode, and I'm sorry, but I was so critical of Mr. Bronfman, who was the owner of the team, and I saw, saw him differently while I recorded that episode with my dad, and all the criticism I had for Bronfman wasn't, didn't apply for him. It applies to Obu. Mm. 
Maintaining their momentum from their successful last season as the Nelzics, the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup in their first season after the move, and then another in 2001, and would also win division every year in their first eight years in Denver for a total of nine consecutive division titles, the second most in the expansion era. The year after oh. the Nelzics moved to Denver... Can I say one thing? Please. Okay, so there was a quote from one of the physiotherapists of the Nordiques at the time, and it broke my heart. He was crying when he said it, and he compared Colorado winning the next year to um, having a fiancé you love and seeing her marry another man in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) I I saw footage of them filming the Stanley Cup Finals at a bar in Quebec, and everyone was just... Because it's their team. It's the same team in a different location. I'm sad. This is, it's, it's, it's a tragedy. It's a horror. It's a such, such a sad ending. Yeah. They just, when we're starting fresh, completely ignored the numbers that had been retired. And I think that's kind of one of the saddest parts because it's, you're completely, yeah, your team's relocated, but who won the first year that you guys won? It was the team from Quebec. You know, and you're just completely disregarding that. And I, I think that's kind of sad. That's what broke my heart personally. And then afterwards, after all this happened, a big like, fuck you, the NHL implemented the Canadian Assistance Plan, a revenue sharing agreement that saw the league provide financial support for the Senators, Flames, Oilers to ensure that they would stay in Canada pr- to protect the NHL's lucrative Canadian television contracts. Quebec City remains without an NHL team after losing out to Las Vegas on an expansion plan team. So in like 2009, you get this Russian guy who's trying to buy um, the Quebec City, but the NHL just turns around and goes, a Russian's never gonna own whatever teams. We're not gonna let that happen. And then 2011, Pierre Calpilado, who's the president of Pierre Pilado, who like in the 90s tried to buy the Canadians, uh, the Quebec Nordics when all that was failing, he then, um, he owns Quebecor. Yeah. And he, oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so he tries to buy the Nordics or like that, the team basically. But at the same time, he becomes leader of the PQ. And that's when you had 2012, when Jean Charest turns around and goes that he thinks that the political aspect might hinder Quebec City's chances of getting the Nordic backs saying that Batman might be less likely to allow a team to move if sovereignists were in power. Apparently, Batman, what he wants is a city where there's full employment, people go to watch hockey and have the money to watch hockey. And so then you get into it super deep, where apparently um, 2013, Michel Bergeron, who's the old coach at the Nordics, turns around and says that um, Batman's got an obvious like lack of respect because the whole issue is that what Batman wants is cities that can survive, right, with hockey. And right now, you've got a bunch in the south of the states that's just not doing well. So like Phoenix, Arizona was doing, or the Phoenix Coyotes were now the Arizona Coyotes, doing terribly. Yet there was a vote at that time in like Arizona to see if, the, if, the, if uh, the, they should keep the team. And they did, even if they were doing terribly. And so... Bergeron completely criticizes them. And then 2014, apparently, Brian Mulroney, who is like a former Canadian prime minister, tries to get involved in the sale, saying that, you know, Mr. Bettman's a businessman, the Quebec sovereignty project's never going to bother him, whatever. 
And then you get 2015 when the NHL confirms they've received an application from Quebec. And all the NHL was requesting was that um, the city had a fresh new stadium and like the fans to get ready. So Quebec builds this like super, super expensive new stadium. And basically they kind of ignore that. It goes 2016, you get Las Vegas. So they decide to go to Las Vegas because they say that it's like, how the conference and you know you got to like make it all equal and blah 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 and then a few years later it's Seattle or Quebec City and Seattle doesn't even have a freaking like stadium yet and apparently Don Cherry who like famously doesn't really like French Canadians turns around to Gary Bettman and goes in an interview and goes Quebec City needs a team why are you not doing it and he just kind of like said He cited, quote, vague issues, logistical and otherwise. And also Boston Bruins owner Jeremy Jacobs expressed an opinion of some skepticism. And we're not in a process right now. And that Boston Bruins coach has got a vote. So there's all this like stuff happening behind the scenes. You're thinking, why is Seattle getting a team when they don't even have a stadium yet? And that's meant to be one of the requirements. Okay, so there's this quote I read, which went, it's one thing to not have a hockey team to call your own. It's another to be paying for it. And it's true, like, and it's heartbreaking, isn't it? They have everything. They have the fans. They have the stadium. And, you know, if he says that they can't expand right now, why doesn't he just relocate one of the Florida teams? Like, I'm sorry, but Florida Panthers, come on. You definitely touched upon a good point of there being political and language politics involved and biases and, you know, fears of relocating a team. But what if it becomes a separate country? Those are definitely valid fears, but I think we're past that now. Like, you could put that behind the reason the team got sold, let's say. And, Mm. okay, so now I went in and thinking that (laughs) Eric Lindros' fault. Like, he caused a big shit if he just joined the team and the team was winning every year, won Stanley Cups, like a gold lineup. This wouldn't even be a discussion. But because he screwed us over, I was going to blame him. And then I, maybe his mom too, who knows. But now I think it's the owner of the team. He just didn't stick Mm. out enough. It was the fear of losing money. Nobody lost money. And that's a problem. Yeah, right. You should lose money. If you're you're selling your team and it's a failed investment, then you you should have tried everything you could, exhausted all your options before doing the bitch move. Because you could blame so many things. You can blame high NHL player salaries. This unrealistic, you know, there's no cap on it. This unrealistic salary expectation for players right and like you can't compete with other teams that have a huge budget there's always going to be another city that'll pay more for your pool of players Mm -hmm. you could you could blame that for financial insecurity you could blame you know I don't know if you could blame being in the same province as another city because you know friendly competition like cities like New York City have teams Quebec's owner owns technically the Quebec Nordics and um, Molson still owns um, the Montreal Canadiens, and there's a huge feud between them with, like, Pierre-Carl Pilado accusing Molson that he's not Quebecois enough and too English, and, like, both of them kind of ruining each other's chances and just kind of, like, trashing. So that's, like, another thing, because Molson is one of the big influential person and the NHL and donor. So that's like another thing where you're like, maybe the Montreal Canadiens aren't as innocent as I thought they were. Yeah. If you had to isolate a single thing, who would you say is to blame? In a way, I would blame 
OB, but also I still can't keep myself to blame that mom, that Lindros mom. I agree 100%. I was going to say the same <laughs> verbatim thing. Bonnie, her name is Bonnie. Don't you forget it. <laughs> but also, I can't help but think that it might just be bad luck because they all had these superstars come to them, but it was never like, it never worked out. I they stole. I don't know that it's bad luck. People are to blame, and choices have consequences. Whose choice? The logo is actually an igloo holding a hockey stick. I did not know that. And so, I love their look. It's blue and white. There's smell de vie on the waist. It's powder blue. It's beautiful. Aubrey, another reason to blame him. (laughs) Aubrey intended to change the team's entire look had he won enough financing to keep the Nell Dicks for the 95-96 season. He would have abandoned the blue, white, and red and he had wor- that they had worn throughout their history in favor of teal, black, and navy. And they would have abandoned the... They, oh, they would have done a whole rebranding and they would have had a Siberian Husky. It looks sort of looks like the panther. It would have been like the face of a Husky. And then underneath it would have said Nell Dicks and the eye would be an icicle. Did you look it up what it looks like? It's hideous. I saw... I, I saw but it's hideous and it looks like a junior team thing it's so like ooh, it's the 90s let's try and revamp and i'm like you have something classic why are you trying to ruin it it looks I generic like it, I, we could, the fact that we could both think of a bunch of other teams that have like the same aesthetic like maybe the real tragedy was this new logo and losing the team was the only way to keep <laughs> on this hideous let's blame it on the logo let's just blame it on the logo Luckily, it never happened. So I guess there's a, there's a silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> there's a light at the end of the tunnel in the end. Thank you so much for doing this with me. No worries. It was really fun talking to you. It was so fun talking to you. And I'm glad you're the perfect person for this episode. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so happy we did this. I think we, we got a comprehensive look from the outside. No, I always have a lot of fun talking about hockey with you. And I'm looking forward to the next hockey game we can go see together. A hundred percent. Next time when COVID's over and you're in town, it's happening. First go, Habs, go. Go, Habs, go. Go, Habs, go.